You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Red Men Originals, podcast time with me, Paul Machin, with that man right there, Chris Page, with that woman right there, Chloe Bloxham, with that other man right there, Dan Club. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um... The cap crew on the opposite couch. Just going to paint a picture for our podcast listeners. Um, Dan's got a cap on and Chloe's got a cap on. Can you picture it? Wow, vivid. Vivid. Um, Yeah, they look a bit bit moody going on over there, to be honest. Um, I'm living life. You just look like you would hang outside the offy by ours with your bike on the floor. Who would do that? Yeah, Yeah. leaning against the wall. Mm. Asking people to buy his ale when they go in. Yeah. 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 A bit more Chloe than you, to be fair. <laughs> You'd be the person everyone would be asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since it's about 15, people are asking me about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> right, sounds. Uh, yeah, um, with the guys present. And of course, with anyone watching live with us on YouTube right now, we're going to be going through the big topics of uh, the week. Uh, that just was. Uh, obviously, Liverpool beating Bournemouth by four goals. Then they will be central to that in the first part. In the second part, we're going to talk about Mohamed Salah's return from AFCON. Um, yay. Yay, but also he's injured. Ooh. <laughs> um, and then look ahead to Liverpool versus Fulham in the second leg of the League Cup semi-final as well. So uh, before we do dive into that, I just want to draw your attention to the fact that tickets are on sale uh, for the third leg uh, of our live show tour. We are going to be in London on the 24th of April, uh, Indigo at the O2, the Millennium Dome for all of the people who were around at that time, not Chloe, as we discovered last week. Um, you can go to axs.com. Uh, and just type in Redmount Redmount on there and you'll find the tickets. We've got Keo with us as well. Am I right in saying we're, we're having a month to recover from the two nights in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Sounds yeah. about right, doesn't so, it? So yeah, Belfast, Dublin, month, London. Have we timed it with um, St. Paddy's Day in Ireland? No. Oh. I don't think so. That a a bell. When is it? It's March, isn't it? Paddy's Day. March, yeah. Does ring a bell? Maybe not. I don't forget. Imagine if we got. Imagine if we. I don't think it's on Paddy's Day. I don't think it's on. St. Patrick's Day is on the 17th so a week later we we, we rock up Um, so no so people will have a week to recover from St. Patrick's Day before they basically come and get get pissed with Chris (laughs) uh, which might be the subtitle of the show uh, if we're being honest Um, so yeah tickets available for all three of those you can get the um, 
the tickets to either of the Irish ones through um, Ticketmaster.ie and yeah, go to AXS.com and search for it to get the Indigo at the O2 ones as well. Get involved. As I say, Keo's with us, which I don't think I've made enough of a, a deal about. Keo's very, 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 very good. Um, he is the, the basically the, the big dog when it comes to Liverpool song scene at the moment. So uh, yeah, we've got him, we've tied him down uh, and, and we're going to untie him so we can he's play on, he's some songs. Loan. Yeah, he's on, yeah, he's on loan. Um, yeah, should be really good. Get involved. Right, that's enough of that for the moment. Uh, more stuff to tell you about later on. But yes, let's talk about the game. Uh, I'll start with Chloe, actually, because I, I haven't spoken to her about this match as yet. Just felt like a real potential banana skin there, Chloe. I don't know how you felt going into the game, but it, it, had, it bore all the hallmarks to me of a game that we would have we just draw. And then you're going, okay, well, it wasn't the worst possible result, difficult place to go, informed team, but that gap to us in Arsenal and City starting to get whittled away. And as it was, the Reds just demolished them. Yeah, going into it, they're a team informed under a really boss manager, to be honest. You know, you've got Dom Solanke, ex-Red, really tearing it up in the Premier League, and we knew it was going to be a tough game. Um, and I think it was for the first 45. I think it was quite flat from a Liverpool perspective. We couldn't quite get hold of the ball and get up the pitch. Uh, and they put us under pressure in the first five minutes from a couple of corners where it was right by our end and maybe that's why we were a little bit more worried because uh, it was right in front of us. Um, but I said before the game, we played them last year and we know exactly how that went, but we're going there with a different mentality and with new additions and we're at the top of the table. It is an entirely different feeling around this game of football. Um, so I was going there positive and I just thought, win by any means and what a way did we win though because that second half, they couldn't get near us. We came out um, with you know a desire and just a, like, a want to really go and put them to the sword and the finishing was unbelievable. Um, and they were all right by our end as well, which made it even better. So, yeah, a boss away day. Uh, the wind was horrific. The weather was horrific. Uh, but the Reds love to show up against Bournemouth away from home this season. Um, I'm going to read some stats here and try not to make it horrendously dry. Um Bournemouth five shots, two on target. Liverpool fifteen shots, six on target. Bournemouth thirty percent possession. Liverpool seventy percent possession. Score Bournemouth one. Liverpool nil. This time around, Bournemouth 11 shots, one on target. Liverpool 14, seven on target, 39%, 61%. Bournemouth nil, Liverpool four, Dan. Yes, a a wildly different performance from Liverpool from this one compared to the last time we went there in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly second half, as Chloe references there. I just felt like we were completely at it. And it would have been, I think anyone would have took any form of win. Joined in that game, really. Certainly the way it panned out for the first 45 minutes, you're just taking a 1 0 Virgil van Dijk, Ibu Canate, Heather, or whatever it looked like. But for Liverpool to turn on the style in the way that we did second half and to be that clinical was absolutely outstanding to watch, to be honest. And it was chalk and cheese from that game last season. I don't think we. Bournemouth felt like they gave everything they possibly could in the opening 15 minutes, potentially. And when they didn't get the breakthrough, when they had the wind beneath the sails and the home crowd possibly could have been in their advantage, when that didn't happen, it felt like they went, oh, these are really good, you know. And all of a sudden, we grew in confidence. We started to get on the front foot and stuff like that. And as I say, second half, we were absolutely incredible. Some of the football we played in what was very difficult circumstances against a very good side was a joy to watch. And I think, as I mentioned, that the clinical nature of the goals 
is what really sets us apart from most teams in this league, to be honest, not just Bournemouth. They had moments in that game, but they don't have the attacking prowess that we have. We've got lads there, and Nunes not necessarily all the time, not exclusively, but Joe Jota in particular, that when the moment comes, they just kill us. He is an absolute killer. And whilst we haven't got Mohamed Salah, it's massive that those type of players step up and they did it and they did it brilliantly. Yeah, we'll, we'll swing back around to, to Diogo because I want to have a good old chat about him. But let's just do the weekly Darwin chat, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think the point we were made about we made about a few weeks ago was it's all well and good him not scoring the goals because he's providing them. And when Salah's there to score the goals, then it kind of doesn't really matter. The obvious question mark arose was, well, what happens when Salah's not there? And it was going to be an interesting test to see how Darwin kind of fared without Mo alongside him. Um, well, yeah, if he's going to score two goals and two goals like that in football matches, then, yeah, things are going to start to seem a little bit rosier in general from him. That's 10 goals, 10 assists in all comps. They're really good numbers for a forward. They're probably not great goal-scoring numbers still from a pure number nine sense, but... I mean, he's it's got, the he's first got time I think in the Premier League, certainly that he's just averaging more than a goal every two games for Liverpool. I think he's up to about 0.52 per ninety at the moment, Darwin. Um, Premier so League got all comps, Premier League, yeah. Um, and, that, and that's obviously massive, isn't it? You know, we talk about Diogo Jota. He's been a one-in-two forward for us from the moment he walked yeah. through the door mm-hmm. for four seasons. He's averaged over 0.5. Now it's got up to 0.7 in, in, in his first season. I think it was. I think it's around the sim- a similar mark now. But in the other two years, it was still over 0.5. Um, whereas last year, Darwin was still under 0.5. So just slightly less than a one in two. And when you spend that much money, there is going to be a focus on on the fella and how many goals he scores. I mean, ultimately, he's actually got 11 if you count the, the community shield and all that type of stuff. From, for, uh, But, you know, I think it's two in the Europa League, maybe one in the... It might be two in the Carabao, one in the Cups. Three in the Cups, isn't it? I think so far this season that he's got... But now you can see it's almost equal in goals and assists in the Premier League. And that's, it's all well and good. I've, I've been sort of thinking about this for a while. It's like 10 goals and 10 assists. Yeah, but w- what's he doing in the fucking league where it really matters and you play in the tough competition? And he's got that record where you want to see it at the moment. Yeah. And that's the important part for me rather than the all comp stuff. But the finishes last night were brilliant. Yeah. And I think, to be fair to Darwin, and I have been critical of him, I think over the last five weeks, He's been absolutely superb. And the goals that he hasn't scored weren't actually his fault. Whereas earlier on in the season, the goals that he wasn't scoring were totally his fault. Mm. You know, big misses. That's gone. It's been great goalkeeper saves since then. And, you know, right now, I think it's it's probably two goals and two assists in his last four for us. Um, So he's really firing all cylinders at the moment, isn't he? And, And that's what you want to see. And I think... I think generally speaking that this has been Klopp's best year in terms of probably his coaching and his management of the squad so far this season. Um, and I class that against the Premier League winning side and a European Cup winning side. I think what he's done this season steps himself ahead of what he's done previously. We'll obviously see in the fullness of time whether he's able to do it over the course of a season. But the job that he's he's had in managing Nunes and just putting him on that left-hand side and getting him positions where he's a little bit more comfortable shooting from is some of Klopp's best work. Yeah, it's, um, it just helps, doesn't it, Chloe? Because... 
Liverpool do Liverpool's players often do things in unusual ways so like we've spent years defending Trent as a right back because he's not an archetypal right back and you know we've spent years doing a variety of most Salah being a good one because at times you, you never pass the eyeball test as the clinical finisher that he clearly is but with Darwin it helps when he just scores goals because it's very it just means you all like you there's just no need to go to the put a bat to defend him our centre forward played played well and took took two goals really really well so yeah great we can kind of just don't have to worry about defending him for a week he's defended himself yeah and that's what you need your strikers to do you need them to silence the critics and and like you mentioned there he's he's been brilliant the last couple of weeks and I think when we all sit here and we talk about him we do criticise him at times it's because we can see the potential it's because we can see how many chances he gets and if he just slots even half of them Liverpool can become unstoppable because imagine where we are right now and imagine if we did have that Darwin Nunes who's scoring those two massive chances every game that he gets and one of them to me is not a massive chance the ball by Joe Gomez is sensational but that finish is still brilliant he's still got a lot of work to do there the run is brilliant as well so I think that's why we criticise him a lot it's because you know we've always had great number nines at Liverpool but also it's because you can see how good of a player he's he is in there it's just making sure that he's calm in those moments and slots them and that's what he does for the first one it's like he doesn't need to think about where he's putting it he knows exactly he's running onto the ball um, and it's a smart finish and you can see how much you know the goals mean to him how much it means to kind of push away all the critics with his celebrations after he scores it seems like everyone's completely made up for him when he does score I didn't see anyone else like Fajota's goals and that everyone was just a bit calm with Darwin Nunes it was a bit like oh my god it's Darwin um, so yeah I'm, I'm happy that he's you know shutting up the critics including all of ourselves who are Liverpool fans who look at him and think we need a number nine who scores more Um and yeah, I'm 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 enjoying the Darwin Nunes, uh, you know, reign right now, and hopefully it will continue because who knows how long Mo Salah's out for, and he can step up. I thought it was just interesting. Cop pre-match, I think Dan was talking about it. Like he was just downplaying a lot of it, really. Yeah. You know, like no, we just I just think I think all of our players are good lads. They're all good footballers, and sometimes good footballers. You just need to let them get on with it, yeah. you know. And they'll, 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 I mean, Chris mentioned it. They've obviously done a few bits and pieces. There's been some tactical shifts, you know. We've seen them utilised from the left, you know. It's it's been much more fluid in terms of where the attackers have been positioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, it sounds like they're not doing loads of. They're not make because the more a big deal you make of it, you the more likely it is to be a big deal. I think in those kind of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it was getting on his own nerves, his lack of goals as well. I think I, I referenced it last week after the Fulham game when he essentially said it's just not going in for me. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing right now, which kind of speaks to what Chris was saying. He wasn't doing a lot wrong for the past few weeks yeah. for just whatever reason the ball wasn't it in the back of the net, and he's kind of just continued on that trend. And thankfully, on this occasion, the ball has found the back of the net. I think positionally, it's interesting where his two goals come from as well. Just left the centre, the sort of centre area. That feels like a very a much more natural finish for Darwin Nunes, the way he plays the game. And the fact that both relatively instinctive, he hasn't got a great deal of time to think about what he's doing. I think that is a plus point as well because he definitely suits those types of finishes. Can I just jump in here? Because I had a sort of theory about yesterday and and it's a theory just sort of in general about Nunes and and why he's caught offside so often is you see him, he's put his arm up in the air and Joe Gomez plays the ball dead quick because he's already looking up when it's coming to him. You think about the other goal, it's a, oh, is it, it's a chest down and a pass from Kurt Jones yeah. and it's a first time pass from Jota. Now, I think sometimes we've been guilty of overworking it, taking a touch for no reason. But Darwin, it so wants to get on straight yeah. away. 
Now those two early balls in and Darwin's perfectly online for both yeah. things. And it might just be that the team's getting a bit more used to him now after 18 months and when he wants the delivery. And that is earlier the better for yeah. Darwin Nunes because he's going as soon as he sees a chance. Well, that's the beauty of Joker Jota in that circumstance, isn't it? Because he doesn't have to take a touch to think about what's going on around him. He's such an intelligent footballer. He himself, he knows how he'd like that pass to be delivered yeah. to him so he can deliver it perfectly for Darwin Nunes in the same way, which is a fascinating sort of insight into how those two work together because we've seen Nunes and Salah link up so well, which has been part of the reason why Nunes has had such a prolonged run in the side, even when he hasn't been banging in the goals. If you're playing well with Salah, you've got yourself half a chance. But I think on the Klopp stuff, it's interesting. Klopp's never likely to sort of come out and criticise. He spoke about Diaz as well in a very similar sort of vein. But I think the Nunes one, it feels to me like we as fans and rival fans in particular can be quite critical of him and he can frustrate the life out of him of course he can he feels like he's a bit of a player's player by which I mean players will understand just how much he brings to the game if you're a teammate of his you know what he's doing for you and you know how influential he can be likewise Jurgen Klopp knows how important he is to the side and opponents hate playing against him so from a rival or a fan base point of view you go god he frustrates me because you're not down there playing 90 minutes with him if you're on the pitch you know exactly what he's bringing into the well, game it's also didn't James Milner come out after he moved to Brighton and when he was asked who's like who has the most talent in the squad he literally Darwin. said Darwin Nunes so he said I've never seen any anyone with more raw talent than Darwin Nunes and they get to see it in training every day we don't we don't get to see the finishes that you know we probably all think he should be putting away which he does nine times out of ten in training um, so yeah but this it, he feels very much like a confidence player and when his confidence is at high like even when he was on that left wing he put two really decent balls that were just a little bit too high or the, there was no one at the back post I think or Conor the right Bradley, back miss is a big header yeah Conor Bradley <laughs> <laughs> Conor Bradley also had one back, back stick I don't know who put it in for him um, in the second half but he was beating the man and he was so full on confidence and there's been times where he's lacked that confidence and it's like he doesn't know what way to go he doesn't exactly know what he's doing but when he's got the confidence and he's always got the support of the fans he, he turns into a, a, a real positive player yep. um, and yeah, I, I think he is something special and let's hope he continues to, to show it. Confident strikers take things early, I think. Yes. And, yeah. you know, and I think that was what he was doing when he first came into the side. The one that always sticks with me is the one in the Merseyside derby where it's like on a half volley and oh, it goes across yeah. Pickford. It's yeah. an unbelievable save. save. Yeah. It's one of them where if it goes in, it's one of the great finishes, but it doesn't. And then after a while, you know, like Rooney was very good at this. You know, he just, he just takes shots on. We, and, and you catch to keep it a little bit cold. Jamie Vardy, absolutely excellent at it. Don't take that extra touch. You know, okay, there's a logic that says the closer I am to goal, and like XG will tell you this, or, you know, there's the maximum, op, best possible shooting angles and locations or whatever, yeah. But sometimes, actually, it's weirdly better to take it from five or 10 yards outside the 18 yard box because the goalie's still backpedaling. Yeah. Oh, we saw one the other day with him, Emmy Martinez turns his back up to play, yeah, just sprint yeah. back towards his own goal. And the little party goes, just hit it, mate. You know what I mean? Just he's not looking, yeah. <laughs> just, just shoot. And you can catch those kind of moments out. And yeah, I think confidence breeds those kind of situations. You're right, when you're not, you're trying to make it as sure for yourself as you possibly can and maybe that Liverpool's team have been guilty of that across the board um, I just want to read a couple of super chats before we move on uh, to another topic uh, Veronica kicked us off early doors and just said, said to five and said thank you for your great videos well that's just that's lovely, lovely isn't it that's a, that's a real brightener on a Monday afternoon that um, 
Andrew Morrison said uh, Klopp recognised Nunes finishes better coming in from the wing and uh, that and his in-game subs and tactical changes have been crucial Uh, Nunes can be crucial yeah I I agree with that it's good but a lot of it just boils down to just get between the width of the posts and and get on the end of stuff in there and you're more likely to score goals. I know Darwin's blazed some stuff from there too, but keeps coming back to it. Chris, just on the XG stuff, my general feeling on this is, and I don't know whether this is borne out in how whether this is true or not, if you're underperforming your XG, it's just not the worst thing in the world because it says you're getting into positions where you're likely to be scoring goals. Whereas if you're if you're wildly overperforming your XG, it always feels like that's something that's doesn't never feels as sustainable when you're overperforming it in that in some yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, there are different opinions from different people that I've spoken to. Obviously, you're getting into good positions that that's. Um, and the and the team are finding you in those positions. That that's obviously true. But there are players who consistently underperform and still score loads of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Darwin Nunes, bar one season at Benfica, when he scored however many it was, was it something like thirty eight and thirty six for them? Has underperformed his xG. He's not performing any worse than in any other four or five years. There's data on him. He's just had one complete outlier of a season where everything he touched went in. Equally, it's the other way around. When you look at Salah over the seasons, Salah consistently performs better than his XG yeah. and has had one season where he didn't. Yeah. And and this is the this is my big problem with XG, is you are comparing it to an average player. Lionel Messi is always going to score more than an average footballer does yeah. because he's a better player. Yeah. Alison Becker is always going to save more than an average goalkeeper because yeah. he's the best goalkeeper in the world you, when you do look at the XG you've kind of got to consider that it might just be that Darwin's not a good finisher that's fine yeah. as long as he scores goals it's okay And but the thing is he was underperforming his XG and we were losing points because of it and that's where you've yeah. got the problem isn't it yeah. now he's not and now there's no problem well it's funny because I said I said on a, on a show last night post-match Mane wasn't a great finisher he gets remembered because he, he did score some great finishes that last season he was a great finisher but before that you're absolutely right I was thinking the, uh, the, I mentioned the Napoli game in 1819 we, we should be over the hill and far away in that game but Mane misses chance after chance after chance and then ultimately it's a, it's squeaky bum time right at the end with Alisson making a save yeah. in a game that should have been done but you take the rough with the smooth with these players sometimes we'll come on to someone who maybe has got more clinical finishing when we talk about uh, Diogo in a minute but I do want to talk Connor Bradley before then Chloe and it's just he was class I really did every minute he plays for us and look this is now it's still a small sample size let's be clear on this but he he's getting stronger as games go on as well it's not like he's just keeping his head above water and then you know he's getting late in the game and then you go what he, he there was, there was things in that second half and it was pivotal to Liverpool continue their dominance. He was, he's like, he's running 20, 30 yards up the pitch and getting his foot in ahead of their, ahead of their men and kick-starting counter-attacks. I just thought he was great. Yeah, he's been superb when he's been called upon. I absolutely love how much he backs himself no matter who he's up against. Uh, the when obviously we did the little huddle before kickoff, he comes over to our side because he's playing on the right, and the reception he gets and he gives us it back. You know, he he looks at us, he gives it a, a, a little bit, um, and you can just tell he 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 knows what it means to play for us. He's loving it, um, and he was superb once again defensively. He was really solid. Ibu Kanate played ph- phenomenally as well, which you know 
that's crucial being on that right hand side with a youngster. Um, but going forward, am I? Does he get the assist for Jota? Yeah, does that assist, that officially yeah. count? Because what? Does it? Ball... No, I gave it to Jota. <laughs> you can't assist yourself. You can. He did. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Either way, I'll give it a mic. Well, either he way, asked, he asked. You've seen that. Yeah, yeah it's boss. Well, Conor Bradley's ball first time, by the way, to Jota. Maybe we should get the assist to the Bournemouth fans. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I um, watched it back. Oh, it's so funny. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They weigh when he misses the yeah. first one. Ah. So he misses it and they all go, way, and then he slots it in the back of the net. They haven't learned Roy Hodgson. But yeah, back to Conor Bradley on the front foot, stepping in, reads the game really well. That's why he's so good at stepping in front of the man and winning the ball first. And he, he starts counter attacks. He starts the high pressure on the ball up the pitch. Um, and yeah, he's. I mean, he, he he looks shattered all the time, pretty much in the second half. But yeah, he just gets every ounce out of him himself. And yeah, what a superb performance! What what can you say? Like he's a young lad who stepped in for Trent Alexander Arnold, yeah. and like it's like, of course we miss Trent, but like it's not like anyone stood there thinking we need him back in that position straight away. Yeah. It's like he's just he's just mopping up when needed. I'll come to you in a second, Dan, but just some comments on this uh, from YouTube. Uh, Liam Benton with the Super Chess says, shout out Connor Bradley uh, already with more Premier League assists than Anthony. <sighs> okay, yeah, he has to. I, I, give it, I take the assist <laughs> yeah. off Diogo Jota and give it to Bradley now. Much like Anthony going to spin on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, four times. Uh, Josh Owens says, Bradley was outstanding, could definitely play him against the bottom half teams and get Trent in midfield. Oh, uh, that's maybe what Wood I was alluding to says but. love Connor Bradley long may continue but it goes to show that obviously we were all a little we all have our concerns at the end of every summer transfer window of like have we got enough in certain positions and I just I felt at the time it was a little skewed by the injuries to Connor Bradley and it's it's hard to kind of go to again go to back up to the wall to say we're all right because we've got Connor Bradley who was a lad who'd done a season on loan of Bolton and uh, currently had a back injury you know yeah. and, uh, and you're thinking okay well yeah that, that that wasn't one that I was it wasn't a hill I was going to die on in, in a big way in the summer but it did show a little bit you know we've seen it now with. Um, with Bobby Clark coming back as well, and obviously Gerald Quantz is the headline example of this, that there's some absolutely stellar depth at the football club, even though Beck comes on and looks quite lively yeah. you know, yeah. at the back end of the game, that perhaps our squad depth is a little better than maybe we'd feared, you know, in, in, in the depths of misery in the summer. Yeah, 100% it is. And I think we owe a lot to the academy and, and their pathway for that, to be honest with you. I think it's been an absolute revelation, certainly this season. Jürgen Klopp's use of these lads and the development has been outstanding as well. I think the, the, the bench and the kids have really sort of served as well at times this season so far. I and mean, it's been nice to have Europa League to fall back on and allow them to get some minutes and some first team exposure too. But yeah, I think as for Conor Bradley, yet another outstanding performance. I think he was helped by Canate alongside him, who was brilliant as well. But I think even Harvey Elliott yeah, sort of getting him. back and helping double up on his man. And likewise, Curtis Jones and Joe Gomez on the other side. I think that as a defensive unit, it was a really good performance yesterday because Bournemouth had moments, but just kept getting shut down essentially by those lads I'm talking about. But yeah, I think Conor Bradley is just another example of Liverpool's academy getting it right. And you mentioned the loan move. It's no great surprise to me that what we're talking about in terms of Bradley, defensively solid, puts every single ounce of effort in. But from an attacking point of view and his reading of the game, that stems from having a very attacking influence. He was player of the season last year at Bolton, yep. won a trophy, and he was essentially playing as a right winger for a lot of that. So he likes to get forward. He's not shy about getting forward, which suits this Liverpool side absolutely perfectly. It, yeah. The 
the Europa League thing's interesting because in Quantas uh, as an example, it's a great sort of proven ground for some of these players. But yeah. Bradley hasn't benefited from that at all, Chris, because he's been he missed them all. He was injured, so yeah. he's you know he's just come in, comes off the bench in the FA Cup against Arsenal, plays the full ninety, looks dead on his feet against Fulham, and then he's had a little winter break and he's come back, and it's just it's just really encouraging. And I thought the commentary was interesting. It's still early, very early to be to be unequivocally saying this, but. I, if he plays like this and he can play at this level and, and more, then I do think it facilitates a conversation around what you do with Trent. Because if you can trust someone to play that job, and look, don't bear in mind when Andy Robertson's back, Gomez will go back into that equation as well. But that does help because if he's good enough and Gomez can do that and we've got left backs, then you. You don't need Trent to be a right back. Well, yeah, and uh, but ultimately, let's not forget that Gomez might get himself back into the centre half equation yes. as well as being the right yeah. back cover. But before I sort of answer that, I just want to sort of talk on something what Dan was saying there because I think when you think of the impact that Bacetic had last season coming in through the academy, mm-hmm. Kwanzaa this season as well, Connor Bradley, Kurt Jones, Harvey Elliott. Let's not forget these are essentially academy products as well. This is something where when you when you see Conor Bradley and the performances that he's put down, you understand he's been at the football club for near five years. Yeah. And he's watched Trent play right back for near five years. So he understands what Liverpool want from a right back. And it's sort of it's everyone throughout the club and the pyramid of the club pulling in the same direction, wanting the same things from these players. Because Harvey Elliott and Kurt Jones are absolutely but they understand what everybody needs around them. And Harvey Elliott, you referenced it back helping out Connor Bradley. So there is a real sort of uptick in the in the form of the place. Think of that run that Owen Beck has late on, yeah. where he drives into the middle. That's as Andy Robertson a run from left back <laughs> as you're going to see from anyone not named Andy Robertson. Yes. But it was exactly what he did. You know, Bobby Clark bang down the wing running at one point points and then t- keeping the ball and, and stuff so these academy lads know what, what Liverpool want from their players and Klopp's doing a brilliant job in, in giving them those opportunities and you know Bradley now I think personally I think it's too soon mm-hmm. to be talking about Trent in midfield because yeah. of him especially when we do have the options in midfield but my words like next season I'm probably not looking to loan him out Mm-hmm. That's what, that's already yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Why would you want to loan them out? Well, it just it changes the dynamic of what your transfer approach is, Chloe, because you, you know we talked about the, the six positions, and you know McAllister has a really good game. We'll talk about him next, and those really started to flourish prior to going to the to the Asia Cup. And obviously, we looked at like how do you solve certain problems in the squads? Well, look, the ideal will, and it's not a sexy solution because the sexy solution is to go out and spend loads of money on footballers. But actually, if you've got a really good right back, really good right backs in your squad, and you've got really good people who can be moved to play in the six. Then, well, yeah, maybe we can spend some of that money on on some more fanciful players, you know, more attackers or whatever, whatever else. It just gives Liverpool more breathing room, more freedom of choice of what they do next. Yeah, it does, and it also means you know that extra, you know, 10, 15 mil that you have to spend on a potential new right back, new DM that can now be put in a pot for the centre-back that you've been chasing. And that's the big thing. There are other areas in this squad which are much more needed to look at. You know, we've been going on about left-sided, left-footed centre-offs. Um, and, and there's other, you know, there might be a situation with Lewis Diaz again where there's another player where Egan Klopp's wants him and he's liked him for ages. And it might not be the player we need right now, but it might be the player we need in a year or a year and a half. And you kind of want that person to have the breathing space and someone else might try and take them and it just means we've got the money there in the bank to go and do that um, so yeah it's you know these academy players coming through and being at the moment good squad 
footballers and potentially in the future being our number ones in a starting 11 it, it only breeds more excitement for Liverpool because not just have we got these talents it also means we've got extra funds that we would have had to spend on them to go and really go and develop and um, you know target the areas that we really want to improve on most yeah, and we've done it sorry we've done it with you know we've done it with Nico Williams Yeah, yeah. Uh, we brought him through essentially didn't we and then we got good money for him we didn't want to sit behind Trent you might not get a chance where Trent might be the right back for the next 10 years mm-hmm. and Conor Bradley moves on but if it fills the coffers up and there's another lad in the yeah. line who can take the number two spot we don't want to be spending 12 million on Costas Timakas to sit behind Andy Robertson and you know I think now the academy's got the players where you don't need to spend 12 million Absolutely, on Costas yeah. well it goes back to that persistent point of like don't buy squad players buy players who are yeah. better than your first 11 because you your youth players should be your squad players that's yeah. what you know all the players you've been pushed down the back in order to buy better what it does Dan is that Conor Bradley potentially just eases the pressure on Joe Gomez because mm-hmm. I think this is the issue we've had we know what his injury problems have been over the years we know what the injury problems of Canate have been over the years Matip's already ruled out for the rest of the season if not you know beyond certainly you know obviously with his contract coming up. Um, Bradley there just means that, yeah, we don't need, it's not, because we've got depth, but our depth is a little bit sort of Damocles-y hanging by by the thread of Gomez's fitness because he's so versatile. Bradley just means that, yeah, we can afford to go. There'll be games where we don't have to play Joe Gomez. Is kind of what I'm. What I'm. No, absolutely, at. mate. Yeah, and one of them could be coming up on the weekend. Maybe not in midweek necessarily, but the Norwich game might look a little bit like that. But you're right. Essentially, our depth goes as far as Joe Gomez, in so much as he's the right back cover, the centre back cover, and the left back cover. Yeah. So yeah, Conor Bradley eases the burden substantially on Joe Gomez or by use of Joe Gomez, which is massive because, as Chris references before, there could come a time in the coming weeks whereby we might need Gomez to do a little stint at centre half. If he knows what that looks like. Like anymore, by the way, it feels like forever since I've seen him play centre back. But yeah, it kind of badly's emergence. And what's another interesting point on this is we signed a lad. A little bit older than Conor mm. Bradley, who felt like he was going to be the number two in Calvin Ramsey. And Conor Bradley has usurped Calvin Ramsey now in this pecking order for yeah. me. And his performances warrant that. And what happens with Ramsey next remains to be seen, really. But credit to Bradley for that in the first instance. And just to finish on the academy as well, if what I've seen on Saturday night is anything to go yeah. by, Liverpool's academy is in a very good state of play. Could we absolutely demolished Arsenal 7-1. And Jaden Dans, Lewis Kumas, Trenko and Doherty, Trey and Yoni as well, by the way, 16. My God. We are in good, safe hands for a while, yeah. Amazing. What do you think of Conor Bradley? Let us know in the comments um, underneath. Very, very exciting start, uh, uh, certainly this season. Um, right, let's move on. Just uh, briefly, really, before we talk McAllister and Diogo. Ibu and Verge, Chris. Um, Aura. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Without bang, bang Allison in there as well, yeah. Aura FC at the back. Um, yeah, I... I still have my slight issues over Canate's just general play with the, the ball at his feet. But in games like that, when they're just being imp- imperious Virgil van Dijk and you want someone next to him who's just going to go and snuff stuff out, yeah, it was a perfect pairing. It, it really was. And it, it, I, I, me and him were talking last night on the instant match reaction. I think Canate's in the best form that he's been in at, at Liverpool at the moment. And, you know, I was sort of saying, me and Dan were talking about it again, is that. You know, quite often having someone to push you makes you better, but actually losing Matip, I think, has kicked Canate on even more. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's sort of now he's maybe got that freedom to just sort of, I know I'm the centre half and he's just playing a bit smarter and he, he looks so strong. I mean, the, the, the block tackle from Solanke, where he came from absolutely nowhere, is 
pivotal in, in us getting a clean sheet. And I think, you know, for, for when you've got two centre-halves and you've got a goalkeeper and you've got a DM who put in performances, it's not really a surprise that you've got a clean sheet there. Uh, and I think last night, you know, Alisson didn't really have to do too much, but the three in front of him, right in front of him and the two centre-halves and McAllister were excellent. And that pairing just seems to be working. And Van Dijk struggling a little bit in terms of the ball at his feet. He doesn't have his out ball to Mo Salah. Canate's been excellent at moving the ball through the lines for us. And McAllister equally last night, bright spot in the first half, um, just sort of improving week on week. So yeah, the three of them are playing games together and they seem to have an understanding of what's going on. Yeah, it, it just gives you a greater level of assurance, doesn't it, Chloe, that, you know, Van Dyke back to his best and then when Canate's doing that alongside them, I, I just don't know what type of forward is getting the better of them because there's no one faster, there's no one really taller, there's no one stronger. Um, and it, then you're looking at like, well, what, how's your willpower? Well, good luck because yeah. you're not beating them two with that either. It, I go back to when he first came in and I saw him play and I thought, my God, we've got an unbelievable centre-off. And everyone was like, you know, maybe he's the next virgin sense of what he does. And then I watched him in the final where we sadly lost the Champions League. But in that final, he was immense. He yeah. was better than Virgil van Dijk against Real Madrid. Vinicius Jr., one of the best wingers on the planet, he just shut him down pretty much. Um, and he did that single-handedly. Obviously, the, the goal we do concede's a bit crap. But Canate in that was one of the, the star players. He was the man of the match. And since then, he's had his you know good spells, bad spells, injuries, which have, have you know disrupted his rhythm. But when he's in rhythm, you can clearly see what a footballer is. He's unbelievable as a centre-half. And like you said there, he might not be the best with the, the ball at his feet but he's, he's 22 is he not he's like, really good with the ball at his feet well passing between the line he's, I thought some of his passing was wonderful yesterday yeah. like, I must admit um, the, the difference with when I look at Matip it's the stepping up and it's going on the runs you know Canate's not quite going to do that he's had little moments where he kind of does that but he's not going to do it to the level that uh, Joel Matip's going to do it um, but I just does think... he do it better than Virgil I think he does mm. which in terms of stepping up with the ball I think Verge is on his left foot. Like it's no. it's his weaker foot when he no, does, he it. does it. Better than he Verge. just looks really fucking uncomfortable when he's asked to run with the ball. I think Verge <laughs> looks a bit awkward because of the left yeah, foot. I think he ends up kind of just shoehorning one down the line. He needs to get rid ultimately because yeah. he gets put under pressure. Yeah, I just but, think he t- takes offence of having to accelerate. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe making me run. Canate feels like he doesn't have to accelerate. But it, the the thing I love about Canate was even in that game there was a couple of chances where they'd just gone you know we'd push Bradley up and just because of his positioning there was an outbolt on the their left hand side all right and Canate instead of you know maybe trying to pass it back to the goalkeeper he just slid or he just hoofed the ball into the stand and he'd get all of our players back and he'd say okay now you can go again and it's just that it's he's going to grow at Liverpool he's going to gain the maturity you're going to see it in his performances as well we're still very early stages of his career and he's already a monster and I cannot wait to see what he's going to be like in the next couple of years when we see the final product. Yeah, he's fab. I'm seeing some great comments on Alexis McAllister in here, so, so a good pain. time to move on to him. Um, Joseph Clark here says, uh, McAllister was class. I uh, feel more confident about him in that role now, and that's kind of echoing most of the sentiments I'm seeing here, Dan. Yep. I mean, I'd, 
I can't think of many other games where he's been as good as that. So I, I've got is it his best game? But I don't know what what do you think. I said last night I think that was his best game in Liverpool yeah. shirt. I started off by saying it might be his best game from a defensive standpoint in Liverpool shirt, but I kind of extended that as the conversation went on to saying it might be his best game. Full stop. I thought he was brilliant. Honestly, I thought he was brilliant. I thought defensively first half in particular, and Bournemouth did have their moments by which he got into the final third. McAllister is shutting him down time and time again. Win the ball back. Win his jewels as well. I think he won twelve out of seventeen jewels ground jewels, which is incredible five out of six aerial as well which is just their proper defensive numbers in that position like from someone who archetypally isn't a defensive midfielder when we all signed him we all thought he was going to play more advanced and clearly his shirt number would suggest he's going to play more advanced but honest to god he was just brilliant but then beyond that the stuff you expect him to be really good at he was really good at that as well his use of the ball his passing between the lines starting off our attacks it was a quality performance it really was and I've been really intrigued by McAllister and Canarte actually in the same boat in the recent weeks especially when we know we've got a few key players missing for whatever reason various reasons the way they're talking and the way they're acting on the pitch has just gone up a level or two and me and Chris touched on this yesterday with the leadership thing McAllister might have looked at that likewise with Canarte and gone we're missing a couple of our key cogs here a couple of world class players Robo, I need Trent, to go. Yeah, talkers, yeah, I need to step up a notch and they've all done it and McAllister falls into that category for me and yesterday was just sublime. There is just I think sometimes in the Chris where you know the, the winter break we we talked about it before the match about we were we were as Liverpool fans because Liverpool always seem to come back worse from those breaks like a bit of a bit of an in joke amongst Liverpool fans over the years, but we all kind of have this where you know like you learn something and if you have a little break it gets to sort of sink in and you get a chance to catch your breath and, and reassess where you are and then you, you can come back and often you come back better for it like tends to be more with young players but just as feel like McAllister he was kind of throwing at the deep end there's no way I still maintain there's no way he was bought for that role or certainly not for like to have played as much as he has done but he was doing an admirable job there and I could see the idea behind playing him there certainly but then Endo kind of had his run in the team with McAllister being out and has gone, oh, and you've gone, okay, well, that's that starts to make a bit more sense. But I just like the fact that McAllister, that felt a bit like, yeah, he's had he's obviously come back in from injury. He's had a little bit of time to assess where he's at. And it felt like it wasn't just uh, him doing it in a completely different way because that was a bit of the issue, I think, where Endo had his way and McAllister, they were very dissimilar. But actually, they both played in recent game, in recent performances like I'd expect a Liverpool number six and that is it's anticipation it's being in the right place to shut down the opposition trying to get out of their half more than this notion of a, a crunching a destroyer fighter. yeah exactly and that's it that was Fabinho at his best wasn't it 40 yards from goal you can't get past me type of thing and McAllister's certainly doing that now and I think you know when you do think about how long it took Fabinho particularly to, to nail down that spot this is a defensive midfielder learning a slightly different defensive midfielder role now we're talking about an attacking midfielder learning a defensive midfielder role. It should take at least as long, probably a little bit longer than Fabinho took, and Fabinho took half a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but McAllister now probably gone away, classroomed it a little bit while he's been out, come back, has a little bit more of an, of an understanding of what the team needs. The team being in good form is helping. You know, um, everything just seems to be fitting in place. And, and I think Jürgen will be looking at it. And I, I, I've been saying this for a couple of months now. I think Jürgen will be looking at it, and maybe it is the future. You know, maybe you do need someone a little bit more sort of robust in there for certain games. But when Liverpool are going to have 60 
81% possession and he's going to contest and win 12 of 17 duels. You can't really do much more when you've got all the ball yeah. than that, can you? And those type of numbers. Mm. Um, and even in the first half, when Liverpool did start slowly, McAllister didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the one player, I think, who, who came at it. And Jürgen referenced this in his post-match pressure, didn't he? That, you know, both teams, he thought Bournemouth were exceptional in the first few minutes considering they'd had a break. But he said, we took longer to get back into it. But once we got back into it and we made our changes at half-time, we'd really did take the game away from them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really encouraging to see, particularly, obviously, with Endo not available at the moment. Right, Chloe blocks him. Let's do it. Dio goal. Um, he's back, and not not that he ever sort of left. You know that that dry spell, the year long without a goal, which keeps being referenced. Is he was injured for a large portion, yeah, yeah, and it was summer as well. The other summer oldies for a, a sizable portion of it, but um, it feels like a lifetime ago. That it feels like a different player. You know that was another one of those conversations around. Mohamed Salah being your main sort of goal threat and the caveat was we might have another 20 goal a season player in the side already but you kind of you always feels at times like he, he can't bank on Jota because he has his own injury problems but if if he stays fit and we put him into games he's going to score goals for Liverpool he's going to score lots of goals he's a silly footballer um, he just <laughs> like he just scores all different types of goals you know you've got ones where he's dragged the ball 20 yards up the pitch and then shoots and it just passes the goalkeeper you've got the one against I, so I love that like dragged it up the pitch because yeah. that's exactly what it, it feels yeah. it feels like the ball is a chain to our goal and he is literally <laughs> like scooping it scraping it forward towards yeah. goal at times he, 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 it does feel like that, especially when, like, you know, maybe against Arsenal, I referenced it. It was his intelligence away from home where, you know, first half, I feel like we got outplayed by Arsenal. But in the second half, it was his intelligence to know, oh, actually, I need to move over to the right side to help this triangle out here. And then when I can turn on the ball, I'll drag us up. And I've got, you know, either Diaz on the right or Nunes on the left a meter feed. Um, and yeah, once again, he's just, he's superb. He scores all different types of goals. He's so intelligent. He sniffs out the danger everywhere. You know, he knows his position when he needs to be for goals we look at the the one where he scuffs it and then volleys it back the net like is awareness to find that little pocket of space because there's not a Bournemouth man around him in five yards it, he's he's just he's pulled off the defender now when <laughs> oh here we go again <laughs> every time um, knowing that if Brody what a gent Dan's I don't know um, but he knows that if Conor Bradley back post manages to get the ball back in he's got a load of space around him and yet like we've mentioned if he can stay fit he'll score absolutely loads of goals and all different types of goals and we know that even though he scores two in a 4 nil win he loves a goal that's a winner or that's you know making a one goal difference a two goal difference and completely killing the game off um, so yeah he is deadly um, Dan I'm going to come to you on this but it's A underscore Naz here in the comments who, who has reminded me to come to you on this says thoughts on Cara's comments about Jota's okay. finishing uh, he thought they were a bit exaggerated Jota was an incredible finisher but surely not better than Suarez uh, and we got this we had a bit of an off camera conversation how <laughs> Suarez always wins these for us for our generation the, the best finisher at Liverpool was Robbie Fowler yeah um, I think Torres is up there I think Suarez is, is absolutely up there as well yeah. so I, I I don't... It's an interesting point made by Carragher. And the more I think about it, the harder I 
struggle to disagree with it. Yeah, I get, yeah, 100%. And I think of this current crop, I would put Jota at the top of that list, and that's Mohamed Salah included, by the way. I just mm-hmm. think Jota has this this knack, this goal-scoring knack, and he's just born with it. And Chloe mentions there, just the ability to sort of almost just find yourself in space. You don't have to think about it. It's all of a sudden, oh, I'm here, and the ball's with me, and there's no defenders around. He's just born with that, and Jota has that. I think the, the, the debate is interesting. I think Torres, one-on-one with goalkeepers, I'd put him top of that. That list, I think he was the, probably the best out of all of those. Um, Michael Owen was probably probably close second, I'd say, um, in terms of that. I think Fowler wins this argument for me, though. We spoke about it off air, as you mentioned, just the way in which he went about it as well. Robbie Fowler was just just joyous to watch, and he had all types of goals as well. Most like Diogo Jota does, but I think Fowler is the best natural finisher this football club potentially ever seen. Mm-hmm. But Jota is. Definitely in amongst that conversation. And that's credit. We're talking about elite forwards here. That's credit in itself because it's an incredible brand to be talking about. But yeah, as for Jota right now, clinical, deadly, ruthless. Love him. He's just, Chris, he is. I keep using the expression, he's a killer. And I, I, if nothing else, because we always have to do this, there always has to be like a ranking of X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, the problem is with it is that there's a lot of people's noses get put out of joint if you start putting Jota top of this. But, I mean, ultimately, who cares? Because none of these are at the football club anymore anyway. But I just think it's great because I agree with this notion. I got asked this the week about if any one of your current players are one-on-one with a knife-edge moment, end of a game, they've got a chance to finish it, who you're giving it to. And I think people outside of Liverpool would go, be Salah, wouldn't it, obviously? But I think increasingly so, Liverpool fans would say, Jota for that situation. Yeah, I think and I think they'd be right to as well, wouldn't they? You just know that it's that that ability to go two footed. The touch is always there. He's, I wouldn't say he's anywhere near as clean a finisher as someone like a Robbie Fowler, um, but he has every finish in him still, and he. He surprises goalkeepers like what you were talking about before about just taking a shot early. Mm. You know what I mean? He, he has the ability to do that. I think he did that last night as well, to be fair, uh, for one of them. Um, and it's that that sort of sets him apart. Well, yeah, <laughs> for one yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's that ability, isn't it, to just find the back of the net when you when your team needs it. But it's he's he's a lot cleverer football, and he's more than just the finisher. Is, is kind of what I want to say here. I think yeah. we lump him in because he's a great finisher. That's all he can do. It's it's not. He's so much more. He can't, his assist numbers are shite, and I've been consistently shite the entire time he's been here. But he creates a lot of space for other people uh, in his movements and stuff like that, and his runs on the ball. Um, and I think getting you know Klopp said it last night in the press conference, didn't he? You know, putting Nunes and Diaz in their position one A meant that Diogo went into the right wing. Well, who actually you know Diogo turns up going into the right wing, and again that's a clever versatile footballer, and he's been yeah. that the entire time he's been here. He's never been the number one forward. We've had Bobby Firmino and Mane and Salah, but he's always still managed to get numbers, like no sub that I remember in the last 15 years. Yeah, and even that the thing doesn't even necessarily mean like off the bench. It's not even a super sub thing, this is it. It's like he's he was the fourth... He really, yeah. He elevated what our offering was in terms yeah. of the old school front front three, in that you could take any of them lads out of the eleven and put him in, and it wasn't like dropping Divock in, who was stylistically the complete opposite type of footballer to what we were looking for. He could just come into any of them and and and, and do. A and and there's a knock on effect of that, isn't there? It, it means that your front three become better because they're not they're a little bit more rested, so their numbers are actually. It, 
better because Jota comes in and yeah. plays well. Do you know what it is? Sorry, it's his decision making Jota at times as well because it's, he knows when to choose the pass when it might not be on necessarily for him. He's not selfish in any way, shape, or form, but it's his choice of finish as well. I can't, I'm racking my brain trying to think of a moment where he got the choice of finish badly wrong. It just doesn't exist. Mm. He gets it right like 99 times out of 100. He's unbelievable in front of the goal. You know what he is as well, Chloe? He's a bit of a prick and in the yeah, best possible way. You know, like, and so I see the comparisons, Fowler, Owen, I throw a little bit of Suarez in there, a bit of Bellamy in there. He loves, he just loves a scrap. And that's another thing, you know, that's, a, you see that with Darwin Nunes, you see it with Luis Diaz, we've seen it with some of the great players that play for Liverpool over the years, the ones you take most to your heart. He's got the best song of any Liverpool player right now as well. Um, I just, think yeah he's great it's just one of them maybe pays the price for his versatility a touch if he was half a yard faster I think he'd be more guaranteed starting places across the front three but he never he very rarely ever lets us down and he and he scores a, a ton of goals while he's doing it as well yeah he does he really embodies exactly what you want on that football pitch he gives everything he's he's so technically unbelievable um, but also like you said there he gives a bit back think of Leicester when he literally <laughs> gave it to their end after he scored the, the penalty that sent us through he absolutely lives for it he's not if if someone would have put one on Darwin Nunes or put one on Mo Salah Diego Jota's going to put one on you next yeah. and, and that's what I really like about him he stands he doesn't mind getting a yellow card if necessary um, we saw that against Spurs where he decides to get two um, and he just for me he just embodies what I want on the pitch um, and like you said there, in, in the moments where we really need to depend on him he's always there literally banging in the goals in any way and he's got every type of finish that you could possibly get the one against Arsenal that was re- referenced where he goes they, they give the ball to us he goes around one defender goes around Adam Ramsdale and then puts it in the back of the net or you've got the other one the other day where he just side foots it from outside the area into the bottom corner um, it, there's so many finishes uh, for, for Diego Jota to score with and yeah he's just superb just great yeah thoughts on the uh... Jamie Carragher comments then where do you think Jota places in terms of Liverpool's all-time great finishes because yeah I, I, I agree with the sentiments more games will help yeah. because you'll be able to definitely sort of clear it up but yeah I, I think he's I think he's a brilliant finisher on the old centre forwards and the goal scoring things I think this 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 will tie into the Darwin Nunes conversation a little bit um, just in terms of the overall output now I, I was going to do all comps but I thought your point on the Premier League stuff was interesting before Chris so I, what I've done is I've got Liverpool's goal scorers from the Premier League up so far top of the pile of course Mohamed Salah with 14 Darwin Nunes has got seven, Diogo Jota's got seven, and then there's a real sort of drop-off um, beneath that. Let me just quick, I've got that as goals and assists. So yeah, you've got Cody Gapo three, Diaz, three underneath that, which is, it's always funny when you go from all comps to just Premier League, it's quite, like, oh God, that's, that feels well more disappointing. So just to contextualise it, let's have a little look uh, at what Man City have got. So top of the pile for Man City, Erling Haaland, 14, uh, Julian Alvarez six and Bernardo Silva six and then they've got Phil Foden on five Roger on four underneath it so now obviously City have played one game less in the Premier League than us at this point but I thought that was that made me feel a bit better around the whole thing well, and also if you look at Nunez's goals and assists it's 13 and 13 I think I'm right in saying now which is brilliant isn't it yeah 13 goals and assists in 13 in starts. 13 starts yeah that's exactly what you want, you know. He's, 13.4, 90s, 
So yeah. Yeah, only, I think it's, it works out as something that 1.02 is the actual figure for his pay 90 stats right. for goals and assists because I was looking at this this morning because I'm sad. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's exactly what you need from, from a centre forward, isn't it? You know, he's having a goal or an assist every single time he starts a game for Liverpool in the Premier League. Boss. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Does anyone want to feel even better around Liverpool's goal scoring up? Should we have a look at Arsenal's? Yeah, yeah love that. Um, top goal scorer in the Premier League, Bakayo Saka with six. Mm-hmm. So that, where would he play? That would place him fourth on ours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Eddie and Ketia next with five. Oh. Mm-hmm. And three of them in one game. Yeah, that's true. Patrick and Sheffield United. Oh yeah. wow. Great. Martin Odegaard, uh, third highest goal scorer with four, along with Martinelli, uh, Kai Havertz and Leandro Trossard. So look, they are actually spreading the goals out, um, but it is spread thin. Um, it's a veneer of goals. <laughs> yeah, it's a plating, <laughs> a plating at best of goals. Um, good, yeah. I, it's 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 funny, but I always do feel much more encouraged when City are the benchmark, aren't they? And they're going to be the benchmark until proven otherwise. So if you can put down similar sorts of numbers, and right now we've got um, actually a much better defensive record than them in the league. I think we're f- fractionally better. I'll get the league up. Our goal here. difference is like twenty nine, isn't it? I think between the difference, like first half, second half, yeah. goal difference. Yeah. That's frightening. Really, frightening. Wow. Beasley, Andrew Beasley. Thirty we've scored, haven't we? To maybe eleven well, against. We're plus like eight in first halves of football, and we are plus. Anyone have a guess? Got the tweet here. Twenty-one. Plus what? Well, have a guess. Number twenty. 18. Plus forty-one <laughs> in second halves of football. <laughs> what? Andrew Beasley. Liverpool's goal difference across all competitions. All comps, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's plus eight okay. in first halves and plus forty one yeah. in second. Well, if we get better as the game goes on. I'm no. doing a I'm doing a stat show on this tomorrow, right? And get on this one for a figure, I'll give you a little thing. Uh, in the last fifteen minutes Chris of is gonna give you a little in the last fifteen minutes of games, we've scored nineteen uh, and conceded five between seventy six and ninety. I checked the top six leagues. Nobody scored more than 19 goals in the last 15 minutes across any league. Barcelona, none of them. Bayern Munich, Leverkusen, none of them. So late on in games, yeah. where Liverpool are making the money right now. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, uh, Liverpool have actually scored one less goal than Man City. Yeah, but 47 yeah. to 48 it is. But yeah, we, um, we've we've conceded five less. And that's the that's the one. The, the goals conceded is the best metric when it comes to yeah they yes we've played one more game of football than them so yes they've got an opportunity to score more goals than us but they, they can't concede less goals than us for playing more football so yeah very encouraging indeed I wouldn't put it past the PGMOL though <laughs> well, they'll try <laughs> do you know what I mean if they have some more off the books un, um, unexplained meetings with the you know the, the yeah, ministers yeah. or whatever yeah, then yeah. who knows um, a little bit on that in the on the Bias Football Podcast this week but yeah um, we are going to be talking Salah's return and Fulham in the League Cup semi-final when we return from this very short break. So stay tuned. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yes. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, loads of boss stuff happening in and around uh, both live events and, of course, on redmanplus.com. If you want to try everything that we're doing over there, uh, do head to redmanplus.com and use the code CLOP and you can get a whole month for absolutely free podcast videos, interviews, great shows, and loads more as well. Because I don't know whether you've heard... You guys might have figured this out. Bad is the word. Liverpool, <laughs> Jesus. Liverpool are fucking brilliant. Um, so it's a pretty good time to have a, a good little butchers at what we're doing over on there. Um, right, let's crack on. Mohamed Salah, Dan Club has returned from the AFCON. Yay. Uh, yay. Um, he is injured. Um, that is bad. I Why mean, did Dan go to the AFCON? Is that what it sounded like? Yeah. Did it, yeah? <laughs> what man? Yeah, little tan. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The, the injury side of it is bad news. I can only look at this through a positive lens, though, and I know Klopp spoke more on it last night, um, and basically he said that because we haven't got any of our staff over there, and Egypt medical staff are too busy looking after the players that are playing, it makes perfect sense for Sal to come back, and we can sort of oversee his rehab, oversee his recovery, and all that type of thing, but. Uh, the chances of Egypt reaching, I think it's the semi-finals or the finals been said mm. now that Salah will go back there. They, that feels slim to me, given they might not get out of the group stages. I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. So having Salah back at the AXA for the next week or two while he gets fit again, that feels like the best possible opportunity for us to have Salah back playing. Because let's just say he stayed over in the Ivory Coast, which is where AFCON is, and he got fit just after quarterfinal stage, for argument's sake, and Egypt lost that game. Then you've got to get Salah back, which is all the travel and stuff like that. You've got to get him back to the AXA, back involved. And it just feels more complicated. If The sooner we get Salah back, the better. And the best chance of us doing that is having him back sooner. So I'm all for it. Also, you can lie to him and tell him it's really bad. Um, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then, oh, and then you go, oh, wow, your body's amazing. It's yeah. a full recovery. You yeah. can start against Chelsea. <laughs> Come on, though. <laughs> he, um, so they, they said that he's going to be missing. For, he would be missing for two games. Is that the injury they've got? Was the general consensus for Egypt? They play Cape Verde tonight. Cape Verde top of their group mm-hmm. on six points. Egypt in second on two. Ghana one. Mozambique one. Underneath that. So yeah, qualification out of the group by no means assured. Um, and I also you start. I saw a bit of this in the Athletic that there's a bit of like ne- negative vibes towards him as well because obviously they turned a the game around after he went off injured yep. the, the other week for to, to pull a draw out. I, I just the whole vibes, Chloe. I'm, I'm, yeah. I just want Salad away from it. And of course, look, we're not Egyptian, and our opinions on this would I'm sure be wildly different if we were. But I can't, I can't 
I can't speak to that. All I know is most of our best player. He's not getting any younger. He's he is definitely a hundred percent appreciated for his efforts at Liverpool. And yeah, to Dan's point, the sooner he can get back on the pitch and available for us, the better. Really. So whatever happens here, he's getting the best chance of that being back at the accident. Yeah, and I think it's the the most likely outcome is you know I think Egypt have got to play Cape. Who was it? Cape Verde. Cape Verde. Um, who are top of the table? Uh, I think Ghana have the easier game against Mozambique. Did I get that one correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great stun. Um, so yeah, it you know he might be out by tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night. So like. That just stops it all anyway. He would have came home uh, back to the accident. Well, yeah, the, the last game in the group is at eight o'clock tonight. So, yeah, like, you know, exactly. that's, that's what I mean. He could, he's, he's probably at home now, tucked up, yeah. chill, watching the game. We're watching the game on the telly, doubtless cheering his mates on because, look, I mean, Chloe, let's just move this on a touch. The talk is, as Dan kind of alluded, that he'll be allowed to go back if they get to the semis or the, or the final or whatever. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Um, I'd rather he didn't. Uh, I I don't like international footy and I'm, I, I don't care about AFCON because it's not my teams. I care about Liverpool Football Club. That is my team. And my team without Mo Salah is a lot different to the team that has the clinical Mo Salah, the Mo Salah who's put Liverpool on his back ever since he joined us. So time without him, no matter if it's just one or two games. And bear in mind, there are games against Chelsea and Arsenal coming up. We thought Bournemouth was a massive game because it was a potential banana skin. Those are two ridiculously hard games, even if one is at home. And I just want to try and get him better before um, we do anything else. Because to me, the fact that he has came home makes me feel like it's a little bit worse or a little bit more serious. I, I don't know why I feel that. I've, because at first, I, oh, it might just be a hamstring strain. You know, he'll sit two games out and then he'll be back. But I feel like it might be a little bit more serious for him to come back here to then potentially... Because if they, they've got all the chance of going through, I don't know. What I think it comes down like. to the facilities. And I think Egypt's best case scenario, I think this is a win-win, mm-hmm. to be honest so, with yeah. you. I think Liverpool are doing it right. They know how important it is to Mo Salah and to his country that he goes and is able to play. Um, Liverpool, I think, will give him a better Egypt a better chance of having Mo Salah if they continue yeah. to progress, um, because I think he'll be better looked after here because the facilities are just yeah. poles apart. Um, obviously, you know, it might our facilities will be better than Egypt's headquarters facilities. Never mind Egypt in the Ivory Coast yeah. facilities. Yeah. That's just completely <clears throat> different, isn't it? Um, we're doing the right thing by our player because we know how important it is for him. We'll let him go back there, but also we're looking at it thinking. The likelihood is they get knocked out before they need him, and it's better for us. And we've done the right thing as well. Uh, we've placated Mo in that regard. Yeah. This is just better for us. Yeah. If they do reach it, Mo's obviously going to go. Like, yeah. and, and Liverpool are going to step in the it's way. Yeah, enough. exactly. I'd rather him not. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it we is, knew that when he went the first time. Yeah, exactly. didn't we? This is just potentially an added bonus, providing mm. he can get fit in time yeah. for these games we're talking about. Yeah, because this is the thing. I, I, look, I want Mo Salah to. I do want Mo Salah to succeed. He's a. He's going to be one of the legends of the game when he's done. And it, you know, I think we touched upon this the other week, but it's something that's been ticking, ticking around the back of my head of how just how mad it is that you can't 
be classed as the greatest footballer of all time unless you happen to be born for certain countries. You know, like because there's just you, there's a greater chance of you winning the big honors. Like you, the odds of Egypt winning the World Cup is just so much slimmer. So can Mo Salah be classed on the world? All he can do is win the Afcon. You know what I mean? And it, which obviously the Euros equivalent, I guess, for us. And they, they can have a good go in the World Cup, but there's only there's a limitation on what you can achieve. So you want them to have those things because I want his standing to be great in the game. He's ours. You know, I love I love him and I want him to be to be held in that in that sort of esteem. But also I have to countenance that with I just want Liverpool to be the best they possibly can be. And echo Chloe's sentiments about I've just got no great love for international football. So I don't I like the, there is a cool story of he gets fit and Egypt get through to a semis and finals and then he comes back into the fold and gets them in there. That would what a what a movie worthy sort of story that would be. But that's the the alternative is either they get knocked out and then he comes back to fitness and plays for us, possibly in a slightly better situation than than otherwise. Because I can't see that if he gets fit, he's not going to play. If Egypt continues to progress, he's not going to be allowed to play for us in the interim period between then and then anyway. So... No. This goes back to the Matip thing with the Cameroon stuff, isn't it? Yeah, 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 they wouldn't let him play, would they, for the whole month, essentially, yeah. But, you know, Salah won't play for Liverpool until Egypt are out of that tournament. Yeah. Until he is fit and Egypt are out of that tournament, I'm certain of it. And that's why the Chelsea game feels like a non-starter, regardless, yeah. fitness probably, uh, essentially. But the Arsenal game is the one I've kind of got half an eye on, thinking maybe the stars might align or we might have Mohamed Salah back for also, that. Also, like... He obviously wants to go there and we can all understand that. Like That's not the part that we don't get. We totally understand playing for your national team and really being their star man and want their captain and wanting to win something for them. Of course, we totally get that. It's just a case of I don't have that kind of sentiment with any team aside from Liverpool that is my Liverpool Um, I don't have that with international football so it is just Liverpool so when it's in the middle of a season if it was in you know July absolutely stunned you know what I might take a trip over there and and support them all the more but when it's in the middle of a season and you're top of the table it just feels like oh just we need him oh, back yeah. the World Cup like and I, the World Cup is one of the few exceptions where I really I do I I, I enjoyed it from as a kid and appreciating international football at its pinnacle but also it was in the middle of that last season and it could eat a shit as a result <laughs> um, so yeah um, yeah. there's look. a difference from when we grew up watching it though isn't it now you see the best players in the world every week if you yeah, want to anyway, you can yeah. watch them you know you just couldn't watch them anywhere back then you've seen them at Liverpool now yeah you've seen yeah. them at Liverpool you, yeah. you see them in the Champions League you know you, you just see that you can watch their leagues if you want there wasn't any of that that's why the World Cup was so special yeah Toto Scalacci now, now you look at it the, the footy in the World Cup quite often is shite yeah. it's not as good as leagues it's just not yeah, no, no, isn't. Even the the best international teams are nowhere near as good as the best. They get what? The best team. Yeah, they also would. don't have the same amount of time with those the, the like that yeah. team yeah. with yeah. Liverpool. Right. You're with us with you know nine ten months, yeah. uh, and you drill to know everything, every routine in and out. You guys, the national team, it's two weeks here, two weeks well, it's, there. It's, it's why I've always had a degree of sympathy with the Gareth Southgate. Trent stuff. Ultimately, it's because he's not as he's not as good a manager as Klopp. Shock, and they don't have anywhere near as much training time to develop complex tactical, you yeah. know, procedures or whatever. So pieces though. 
that's what they can work on and they do England yeah. have utilised them oh, absolutely it's why yeah, it's like that thing if, if you're ever we've got this there's a collective understanding in this country of people who can play everyone can play 4-4-2 in this country I don't know I don't really care whether you ever play football or in your life or not you possess the skills it's like the ability to use certain appliances and opposable thumbs and playing in a 4-4-2 everyone intrinsically understands it so if you throw 11 people together and you've got to play a football match you just play you just play for four forty. It's fine, and that's what that's basically your international football is an elevated version of that. <laughs> yeah. Effectively, keep it as simple as possible because you haven't got as much time. Anyway, we digress. Let's get back to proper football. Um, Liverpool uh, are in the semi final of the EFL Cup. Of course, they are. They're one leg through that. They carry a two one lead to Craven Cottage on Wednesday. Um, I um, yeah, I'm really excited about this, Chris. It's great that we got to park the Premier League. You know, top of the table, five points clear of Manchester City. Say it again, Paul. and five points yeah. clear of oh, Manchester City. Oh, it sounds so good. Um, the two cup games this week, and by the time the Premier League resumes, we're still going to be top of the league. There's a chance that we'll have a final to look forward to at Wembley and a, a fifth round tie, whatever that looks like in the FA Cup. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Obviously, is it Chelsea next game in the in the league as well? So we go to Chelsea and Arsenal. So we get a little bit of rotation, hopefully, at the weekend because I think we're at the limits of what our squad can probably handle, give or take maybe a, a Gakpo and a Gravenberg at the moment. Um, but everyone else is sort of playing because they deserve to, but also that there's not many options. So yeah, I feel like we're going to go full strength for the game midweek and then go a little bit weaker. But it's just nice to go and have a cup, a, a cup semi-final, isn't it? And... You know, it, it, it's just, it's all part and parcel of just squad, a squad building sort of exercise. This isn't it. I mean, it's one thing to have been told what it's like by maybe Virgil van Dijk and that to win a Premier League and winning a trophy at Liverpool Football Club. So, so I would like to see it. It's obviously all part of playing in front of the Anfield crowd and all that type of stuff. But then to go and get a cup final in front of them and just, just we're just ticking these things off, aren't we? Like in, in terms of a young side as well. Well, we said this, said this in previous years. You know, we're trying to switch the narrative from calling it the quadruple season to the cup double season because it's important to remember that we won a cup double that season. Some seasons, Chloe, are about winning leagues and winning European Cups, the big headline trophies, the ones that cause a million people to descend upon the city. But sometimes just get yourself some silverware and then, you know, you get to build up a body of work. You know, players like Salah and Trent and Van Dijk and Allison, Jürgen Klopp as the manager, you know, building up this this sort of cabinet full of silverware is an important thing. It's also, you know, in addition to that whole it breeds winning in the in the young players as well. So we have to remember as much as they put a top of the league and, you know, we're going well in the Europa League, they would be considered the two premier competitions of this season. Like the cup double winning season, we had we harboured bigger ambitions, but sometimes they're out of your control. If you can go and get a piece of silverware won, go and get a piece of silverware won. Yeah, it takes the you know the stress off those who are coming in to, to Liverpool and who are new additions because they're desperate to win something with Liverpool and you're desperate to... I mean, Sobersly took the number eight. Number eight, uh, Stephen Gerrard, Naby Keita couldn't live up to that. He, and he was handed the shirt by Stephen Gerrard. So I was like, we'll want to win something with Liverpool. He's got even more, you know, kind of reputation based on the fact of the number of shirts he's taken as well. So just get 
that kind of winning feeling and put it to one side. You know what it's like. You know what it's going to be, and it's going to make you, know you go on for, for more. Well. Exactly. Um, and also moments like that. Yet we missed out on bigger trophies that season. But it shows the real solidarity and exactly what the club's all about. You go and put everything on the line and give us everything, and no matter the outcome, you'll see all of our fans get around you and support you. And that's what we did. It wasn't what we wanted ultimately, but we got two pieces of silverware and still the city centre was littered with a sea of red. And those players, after feeling the deflation of losing a Premier League by one point and then uh, a Champions League trophy because Courtois had an unbelievable game of footy, like to go from that to instantly being like, oh my God, these people recognise that I've just put my body on the line for the last year to try and get them there. And it's just, you want that feeling. We talk about the family kind of, how it feels like you're in a family and you want to understand the fans and the fans want to understand you. This is how you do it. You win, you know, maybe the little trophies along the way and you build it up and build it up and you create a a bond with the fans that becomes inseparable and you become one of them. Um, And that is really what you need to do. And winning does breed winning as well so you need to set that mentality yeah and box European football for next season as well which would be nice there's another thing to this sorry sorry Dan but about the trophies thing and and the Carabao Cup and stuff I think it's getting harder and harder to win trophies it is because there are teams out there that don't play by the rules Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be laughing at any or sniffing at any trophy like the Carabao Cup how many times have City were about four or five years on the bounce didn't they it's it's really hard to sort of even win that trophy nowadays they caught caught us up didn't they and then we surprised the last time we we won it and that took us back as the the overall yeah we're the the ones now we're We're going for La Decima <laughs> yeah, for me as well. I mean, ultimately, Jurgen Klopp deserves more trophies yeah. to show for his time at Liverpool Football Club and the job he's done. But kind of what, what Chris was saying there as well, I was going to say, like, I grew up and I just would have bitten someone's arm off to be competitive at times as a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we can be picky with the trophies ultimately. And listen, we'd all love to win the big prizes year in, year out. Of course we would. But a Carabao Cup and FA Cup is not to be sniffed at, whether it be that year we're talking about or this year. I think just racking up trophies is a positive regardless of what they look like quite frankly because as you say you know it gets that what it feels like to win a trophy for Liverpool Football Club under the belt nice and early and Liverpool 2.0 nobody expected us to be where we are right now we're way ahead of schedule if we can add one, two, three possibly four trophies then remarkable yeah no I, I agree with all that and it's you know said before the League Cup is not a trophy I, I think that you you parade on its own. You just you just don't. Yeah. But you know we we saw that we often take like two bus words with players on these on these tours. Yeah. I've, I've one per coach. If you if you if you win two, if you win two trophies, get this one box. And look, you're right. It, we we are a bit sniffy at these competitions sometimes. We do with the Europa League too. We've, been, we've all been guilty of that in the past. But when you're in it, it's yeah. it's football matches. I don't differentiate between I, how I watch football. Is it's Liverpool's lads playing a bunch of other people in football shirts. I very rarely care who we're playing or what it is. They're just shapes in the way of my lads. So, you know, just seeing us go and win games, I honestly could not give a flying fuck. I went to watch the first cup final. I went to on my own back, 17, 2001. I went, I got a coach on my own with like a, a supporter coach on me, Todd, and went and watched us beat Birmingham in the league, in the league cup final at Cardiff. And it was, Unbelievable! It's one of the best days of me in, in, in my entire life. Just absolutely amazing. One of my early memory mid nineties. Obviously, the Steam of Man in final. We'd be Bolton in that one. Yeah. We Cardiff in twenty in twenty twelve. 
who cares? You know, I, I and you'll never take those memories away from me. I'm going and watching watching those games, and even the Chelsea one was hard. It was hard work yeah. a couple of years ago, but it led to one of the funniest penalty shootouts I've seen in my entire life. Also, it's it's the for a lot of the players, obviously the likes of Trent Virgil, they've been there in finals, but there are there are players who don't know what it's like to be in a final for Liverpool Football Club. It's a different type of pressure because you're supposed to win that game and the world is betting on you to win that game. Um so it is a different kind of pressure. So to get to any final, you know, whether we win or lose, it's good experience for the lads out there. But it is also different to George just playing one kiss after we beat Newcastle. You play one kiss after you win uh, a final. Like the one where Costa slots the penalty, their end to win it. This is one of the best scenes I've ever been a part of. Yeah. And it was an FA Cup. <clears throat> it was flares everywhere, one kiss bouncing off. And it was just song after song after song. Virgil coming over and dancing and singing with us. They're the scenes that as players, they don't get to witness just every other game at Anfield. They're the special moments, the moments that you box away. Yeah. So to just experience that is totally different. You don't necessarily need the parade. You just need them moments as yeah. well. Unless Fulham knock us out and then it can be a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk selection then, Dan. Do you think the FA Cup game, we know it's Norwich now, um, we're going to yeah. be playing at the weekend it's a championship team so obviously it's not going to be the, in theory the toughest of tests but where's your take on this does this mean you go you go, you get to go stronger for this one knowing you can go weaker at the weekend or is it kind of much of a muchness no teams? I think you can go slightly stronger um, in midweek if I'm being really honest and that listen we haven't got a plethora of options to choose from unless you went for some of these kids that were talking about your Bobby Clark this world but I think they are more likely to be saved for the weekend I think the likes of Clark Gordon perhaps even McConnell I know Beck might come in for that game against Norwich whereas I think the midweek one the Fulham is more Joe Gomez it's more Canate it's more Van Dyke, etc etc Kelleher potentially probably will play midweek he could even have a shout for the weekend as well I would say um, Quant is more likely to be safe in Norwich but I think Liverpool go as strong as possible there's obviously question marks about Curtis Jones he felt something as he came off yesterday that probably means Gravenberch comes in I would yeah. say and I think the only other one really with a shout of coming in and it's more this is a rotation and more of a squad management thing as opposed to a wholesale changes thing it's Cody Gakpo yes. yeah. he comes into the starting lineup in the front three I would say outside of that no change well he really. holds a record at the moment doesn't he for the most consecutive oh, rounds yeah. scored in like the last player to come close to that I think was Ian Rush in the 80s so it um, yeah he, he'd oh, imagine Minamino didn't get close to it well yeah I don't know he how close he came to it but that was the, the only person who'd done that was, was Ian Rush and wow. Kenny, Dag, Kenny Dalglish as well wow. the uh, other thing I'd say on this fixture on Norwich is that it's a home so you can put the big lads on the bench if you really want to it's yeah. not like we're having to travel anywhere and the, the, you're going all the way down to Norwich now you, you, you're at home so you can put the big names on the bench and put out a rotated side um, against that Norwich side you've also got the Anfield atmosphere that if you do need us we're, we're there to help you out with that so uh, I am full strength on Fulham that is my priority that yes. is the most important part this is to get to a final and then when Norwich comes that I'll sort that out on the day I think this, I think that I think we, I think we'll just naturally go because you can't not it's only a goal there's only a goal in it at the moment you're away from yeah. home it's the Premier League team we'll put best possible side out and that Gakpo can be that it doesn't really matter to me, you know. I know Darwin's got a bit, he's got a bit more of a return, but Gakpo's been the main man in this competition so far, so fine. But what's quite interesting, Chris, is there was talk that a number of the lads who've been out actually could be back for this game, but 
it's an interesting situation where we're going, oh yeah, all the kids for Norwich. But if they're not ready, you might find that we go full strength for this game. But the start the weekend game. Yeah. You, the you, you, might, you might be able to play Trent, Robertson, Sobber. Sobers might actually be back yeah. for that game. So you end up with a strong side just by the way that the, the sort of injuries are formed. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, for me, you know, I'd be playing the same side, Bar Jones for Gravenberg, you know, mm-hmm. Wednesday. I'd be looking at bringing your Gakpo's in for the for the weekend's game. Beck, Clark, um, Kai Gordon probably on the right-hand side. And I like the way it falls in that Chelsea's midweek and then we've got a midweek against Fulham. So it's a nice full week for the first team, as it were, to, to get themselves ready for Chelsea. And it's minutes for Trent and stuff like that at, yeah. the, at the weekend. It might not be 60 minutes, it might be 20, 30 minutes or yeah. something for me, more likely. But that actually fits into uh, if the kids are... Coming off, they get some minutes yeah. under the belt. The, the first teams get some minutes under the belt, and then it's all it's all hands to the deck for um, Chelsea and then Arsenal, isn't it? So yeah, it's falling okay, I think, at the moment. And then yeah, if we can get Trent, Robbo, and Sobo back, that'd be wicked. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but fingers crossed they can just get it across the line. It's not stupid to say really, but things are just ticking along really nice. I agree with that. That that little run between now and the Chelsea game, you want to just be. You could be energised from how you've managed to handle these games, you know, potentially pro- progressing in both competitions and in a world where some of your big hitters are back and available for you all of a sudden. Like, there's a there's a mad world where that Chelsea, Chelsea, like Salah could be back for that. Like, legitimately could, theoretically, I think. Is that right? So is you, is yeah. that like, it's I think true? fitness I think so. that's too soon. Regardless of Egypt, I think that's a little bit too soon. Yeah, yeah just get yeah, just get some hospital centre on there. It'll be absolutely fine. Work from Man yeah. City. But to the point, available and potentially with some minutes under the belt, if they've all managed half an hour, 25 minutes against yeah. Norwich, which is the ideal scenario. Sports scientists and all that palaver will tell you, if they can get 20 minutes, half an hour against Norwich, get some match minutes into their legs, absolutely perfect. Boss. Okay, cool. We're going to be picking up the conversation over on uh, the Bias Football Podcast over on Redman Plus. Which, if you use the cop the clop code, yeah, easy for me to say, uh, you can get it free as well as the that show for the rest of the month and all the other stuff over on there. Uh, we're going to be having a look at the January transfer window and why it's been a bit of a, a sort of failure to launch so far. Why haven't there been the big moves uh, across the Premier League? A little bit of a chat around the the profit and sustainability rules as well, how that might be impacting things. Uh, a look at the future of uh, Troy Deeney after, after his wild comments last week um, <laughs> and a few other bits. He got our well. bell end of the week last week. He did indeed. And now he's sacked. Yeah, come and see us over there on redmenplus.com. Thank you so much for watching, for liking, for sharing, for subscribing, and for leaving your five-star reviews on podcasts and apps. You're the best. And we'll see you all soon. Ta. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.